The following presentation is brought to you by KMmedia.pro. Please visit KMmedia.pro for more information. Now stay right where you are as we present. Welcome to Positive Talk Radio, evolving ideas, one conversation at a time. Great guests, dynamic stories and interviews, plus new thoughts on a wide range of topics and concepts. I hope that you'll hang with me, Kevin McDonald, my friends, and of course, you, as together we work to understand why we are all here and what we can do to make our world a better place for all of us to be happy, be kind, and live in peace together. Yep, that's Positive Talk Radio. And welcome, everybody, to another episode of Positive. Actually, this is a worldwide episode of Positive Talk Radio. My name is Kevin McDonald, and we have got a, I got to tell you, I got to tell you, ladies and gentlemen, this is an amazing human being sitting over there. And we're going to talk about all of his stuff and what he does. He's a performance coach. Um, but we're going to start with with his background and where he came from and and that sort of thing, starting with the fact that, you know, when you were born and, by the way, welcome to the show, Dr. Raman. Thank you so much, Kevin. When you were born, I'm sure your parents were heartbroken when at six months you contracted polio. And which caused which caused a, a lifelong uh, uh, affliction, didn't it? Uh, that's right, Kevin. Uh, yeah, they were devastated. I mean, uh, I was born to a poor family in a remote part of India. And uh, just after birth, I think in about five to six months, I contracted polio. And just like any other parents, they were devastated too. And uh, they knocked every door, I guess, every clinic, every hospital. Uh, but, you know, polio is irreversible. Once you get it, you get it. So it's going to stay with you forever in your life. So you're right. You know, it's interesting, though, in hindsight, when you're looking back on your life, and you hate to say anything is a blessing, but in your case, it almost was a blessing, wasn't it? Uh, yeah, I think at this stage of my life, I would uh, certainly agree. Uh, even though it didn't really appear to be that way when, uh, you know, I was kind of struggling in my childhood. Of so course. it was uh, quite a transition. Uh, but eventually at one point of time, I did realize that, uh, you know, what I have, I have. Uh, you know, there is a book, famous book, and they say, what you got, you got. So you're going to need to just make best use of that. Exactly. Well, what it allowed you to do was because of the disability, because you couldn't get out with the other kids and stuff, you ended up working and, and reading and learning a lot of different things over time, didn't you? Uh, that's uh, correct, Kevin. Uh, in fact, uh, in the beginning, uh, I, I kind of thought that, you know, I'm tied to a chair. I don't have uh, that much mobility. And, you know, when you are tied to a chair, you can't play with the kids. Obviously, you are not going to have friendship circle as well. No social circle. So sometimes that can be good because then nobody is coming to you, pulling you into the playground. You don't have any distraction. So it gave me quite a time that I thought, you know, if I can't walk, if I can't play, uh, there's something I can do while sitting on a chair. So learning books, reading books became my first uh, step 
uh, I thought uh, that's that's something that's gonna take me forward. But in the beginning, it was very difficult to uh, learn, read uh, all alone because uh, I think in my situations, um, schools and teachers were not really accessible. They were several kilometers away. You gotta need to have a mobility to be able to access teachers, tuitions, coaching, and all that. And obviously, resources plus money. So I didn't have any of those. My family wasn't really that well to do. So yeah, um, I begin learning. That's correct. Well, you know, it's interesting because over time, you have earned over a hundred international degrees and educational credentials, which include two doctorates, three masters, and tens of diplomas and certificates. You've been nominated for some of the world's highest certifications. With your two practice-based doctorates and specialized research, <clears throat> excuse me, I'm one of the few experts in the world who has figured out how to reduce time to mastery by 50%. And that's really been the focus of your career, hasn't it been? Uh, that's uh, Kevin. Uh, in the beginning, you know, when I started my schooling, sort of, so at that point of time, uh, I was very slow, you know, I had to wear this prosthetics and uh, it always kind of lagged me behind my friends. So I kind of had this bad feeling that perhaps uh, in life I'm going to lag behind. So then I kind of thought at that time and imagined that uh, if I learn faster, perhaps I'm going to be able to compensate for that lag. And uh, I began to read, I would begin to kind of accelerate my own learning. And eventually I got uh, in love with that, the whole concept of learning faster. And when I went into the professional world, what I figured is that the most important piece is not the learning, but it, it is the mastery in your profession, the excellence you achieve, the peak performance you get. And uh, my interest became, how do you condense this time? People take years and year to become master. Can we cut it short? So I did my doctorates, I did extensive research on particularly on this topic, how to shorten time to mastery by maybe we'll cut it in half. And that is in itself a remarkable feat all by itself. And especially when you're looking at professional people that are, you know, it's a real competitive place out there. And they're trying really, really hard to do a better job faster and to learn more and retain it. And, and your work is to help people do that. Now, you've also become a speaker. You're an author. You've written. Tw I don't know where you come up with all the time to be able to get your doctorates and be able to be an author and, and to do all the stuff that you've done. How do you have? Well, obviously, you practice what you preach because you, your mastery has helped you and which leads to other people that you're helping as well. Right. Um, that's right, Kevin. Um I think it's not about, uh, you know, time. Sometimes we get this wrong concept of managing time. And there is a whole lot of uh, courses, training on time management. And there is another variation of that, what we call priority management. In my research, in my personal experience, I have seen both of those things are incomplete. Those are not solution in itself. You can't manage time. Everyone got 24 hours. What you can do is they draw the value out of time. And what really matters is how much value you're going to be able to draw, how quickly you can draw that value out of exact same time what other people's got. So it's a, it's a kind of same constant uh, commodity across the board. Every person has same uh, time. 
So I think uh, the way I do is I try to understand at a given point of time what value I can draw and how I can shorten that path for time to value. Can I reduce in half and double the achievements? Or maybe I keep the time constant and I speed up my, you know, the total amount of uh, achievements I'm going to gain. So that's the focus I have been always uh, putting rather than managing time. We should manage the value. Which is, which is remarkable because what I'm hearing is that if you took two people that have the same talents and the same skills, the same education, you can take one of them to do things a lot faster than the other one based upon the work that you've done and how you help them achieve that. Am I correct in that? Uh, you are absolutely right. And I want to add one more point here. Uh, in my research, I found that, and in fact, not only my, uh, my research, when I was studying the lot of studies, previous research, uh, Malcolm Gladwell has written about this one, that talent is overrated. People don't become successful because of talent or they don't progress forward in talent. So there has to be system, there has to be method. So if I have two people in front of me, the less talented one, so-called, may be equally or more successful in terms of using these methodologies. And uh, it all depends that person, irrespective of their talent, how they draw the value out of time. And uh, to draw the value of time, obviously there are lots of different methodologies, different science, I advocate, so we can get into that one as we go along, certainly. Well, absolutely. So what you, are, are what you're telling me then that somebody who is less talented and knows that they're less talented is, is willing to work harder than the guy that it comes naturally to, and so he can actually excel past the guy that it all comes natural to? Uh, that's uh, correct. Maybe the guy who got it natural is going to be less effortful. Maybe he's going to be able to progress a little bit more. And, uh, you know, it's all privilege kind of thing. The person who come with the lesser talent, I think we kind of view people, uh, whether they have talent or not, no talent, uh, sort of in a biased manner, I would say. Um, so it's, it's all about the outcomes. In the professional world, talent does not really matter. What really matters is, are you able to produce the outcomes, the results, what your job, your profession, your business requires? So if you can, obviously you are a great performer and many people are gonna uh, call that person as talented. But even though that person is using some sort of systematic methodologies, the 40 years ago, there was research that was done and it has been still proven correct that the big uh, world's biggest and the most talented musicians or sports person, they had years and years of practice behind them. And they found that the talent only contributes to one to two percent of uh, those successes. Remaining is all training methods and strategies. So from that angle, uh, what we say is that if you can produce the right kind of deliverables, the right kind of uh, outcomes, for your business or profession, you're going to be considered talented. And if you can do it at a faster rate, if you can reach there in a shorter time, you're obviously going to be, uh, you know, kind of labeled as more talented. It's, it's a counterproductive thing then. It's counterintuitive because one of the things you'd say is this guy's got all this talent, but this guy gets more done. So this guy must be 
more talented. That's uh, correct. I think we need to shift our definition of talent. I mean, how do you measure talent? If something is innate inside you, it's hard to measure. World is not going to get benefited from your talent unless you convert your talent into outcomes for society, for business, for your employees, for your team member, for your family. So talent alone, I think whatever that talent is, it's of no use to society or anybody unless we convert that into outcome. And then I say, you know what, if outcomes are the indicators of our success, of our contribution to society, why not we kind of make that as a standard? That's how we're going to measure people. That's how we're going to measure success. That's how we're going to measure progress. I mean, if today um, you tell me, Raman, I am actually moving slow. And how we're going to measure it, we're going to measure in a given time how many outcomes you're producing or to produce a given outcome, how much time you're taking. So my concept of talent is slightly unorthodox, Kevin. Well, but, but it is, but it isn't. And, and yeah. I'll use the uh, sports analogy. <clears throat> There's a guy who played for the Seattle Seahawks. He was drafted by the Houston uh, Oilers at the time. And uh, he was traded to the Seahawks because they didn't think he was all that good and, and stuff. And so he came to the Seahawks. And he his name is Steve Largent, by the way. And he became the all-time leader in pass, passes caught, yards, touchdowns in the history of the league because of his work ethic and because he could figure it out. So the outcome that he produced, even though he was not the fastest guy, he wasn't he, he, he but he was so smart. He was really smart, but he he wasn't drafted for you know his speed or any of that. But he could produce the outcome, and uh, so he became the the premier wide receiver of his time and that's kind of what you're talking about isn't it yeah. it's not it's yeah. it's not necessarily your natural ability it's what you do with it and also how hard you're willing to work and if you have the systems in place to make get it done that's uh, correct and there is one additional uh, characteristics i would want to add to the outcomes so it's like this if you produce an outcome one time that's not enough your outcome needs to be consistent every time, every customer, every ground, every player, every situation. So it has to be consistent. It has to be repeatable. And it has to be um, in, in, in a way that, you know, it is part of your body. I mean, when you produce the outcome, it shouldn't look like that you are putting too much effort in creating it. It should be fluid. It should just naturally come out, it should be part of your body. So that's the level of mastery we are talking about. When you produce that outcome, which kind of falls in those characteristics, you are naturally going to be far more reliable than anybody else. So your talent is worth retaining at that point of time. Even in the professional world these days, like employees, how do you know that this employee is worth retaining if a person is consistent? Not one time uh, of a uh, kind of winner, but it's reliable, it's dependable, it's consistent, it's repeatable, and uh, their, their performance is effortless. If you have to put lots of efforts in creating the performance, then it's a different story. But the performance, when it comes naturally, it flows out of you, I think that's what the hallmark of talent should be. Now, can you do this with anyone? Yes. That's the whole idea that, you know, um, average. I was an average guy. 
I was the average student in the school. I was never in the brilliant categories or a you know, topper. The point here is being ahead, being on the top is not what is going to take you forward. So what kind of things you do with those achievements? Do you convert into outcomes? So there are method system anybody can learn. Any average person can learn and be the masterful. So yes, it can be done with anyone. Now, I know that you get talked to by a lot of CEOs that say you've got you've got this wonderful program. Do they invite you into the corporate world to see if you can help them uh, help their people? Yeah, yeah. They, they do invite me for closed door events. They do invite me for even the conferences, large uh, conferences where I talk to specific group of uh, executives uh, in certain conference. There are human resource executives, top notch. And in some other conferences I speak, they are more training and learning executive. I also talk to the business executives. So depending upon the audience, I do. And uh, uh, there are the different events. It's a public as well as closed door. So, yeah, certainly. I would suggest... If you're a CEO and you happen to be listening to this, or you know a CEO who happens to be listening to this, if you can improve, a couple things happen. Tell me if I'm wrong. If you can improve performance, make your employees will be happier. Um, they'll be rewarded more handsomely because their their performance is continuing and is consistent. And they're going to want to stay and you're going to want to reward them because the productivity of the company naturally goes up. Everybody learns from each other and you have a much happier environment. Have you found that to be within your experience? Uh, that's correct. I think you touched upon uh, the, the the really hot topic here, um, retention, because right now we are in a labor crunch and people are leaving. They're changing jobs and people you know, the CEOs or executives, they're kind of thinking maybe the other companies are paying them more and uh, hence they're going out. But that's not the reason. That's not the reason. Money is not the only factor that is draining them out. It's not that the other organization has all of a sudden become richer than your own organization. So that's not the case. The, the real thing is that uh, if you see as an employee, as wherever we work, we come from our home in the morning with the intention to do good work. And we, when we go back home, we want to walk out of the office, going back to our family, feeling good. Yeah, I did today really good. You know, I achieved something. So that sense of achievement is what keeps us going. Not really the money. Money is very scandery. So we want, we go to office, we feel, oh, you, today we did good work. When we go back and face our families, we don't want to feel bad that today I did a shitty job and, you know, I couldn't finish things. Um, so I think that's internal drive as human beings. Everyone has it. Anybody in the professional space have this. No, managers and executives don't pay attention to this one. What they do is they give a minimal training or coaching to their employees and then leave them into the fire. So what happens is that um, if you don't bring your employees up to speed to that level of mastery, which I was talking, in a shorter amount of time, guess what? Their time to a sense of achievement is also gonna be longer. Now, how many of them would really want to stick to a job which does not give them the sense of accomplishment, which does not give them the feeling of feeling good back home when they walk back? How many of them would want to return back second day? 
to the same place saying that, you know what, today also I'm not going to be able to do a good job because I don't have skills or I lack certain uh, other resources. So I think that's the whole concept of engagement, which I guess we equate it more tangible, like money, promotions, uh, less create environment in the office. I think it's boiled down to one single thing. Give them faster sense of achievement and all the rest of the things will flow out in, in the right order. You know, I, there was a survey that was done not too long ago, and I'm sure you're aware of it. When they asked uh, as far as uh, employee retention, what keeps you in a job and why do you leave? Money and pay was like fifth or sixth on the list. I can't remember, but it was certainly not one. And it wasn't too, no, job satisfaction was really was number one. Are you happy with what you're doing? And if you're being successful and you're getting stuff done and you're being, and you're feeling like you're being appreciated for that, you're more likely to stay at that place because you're happy with what's going on there, right? Yeah, that's right. Uh, and there was several years ago, there was uh, a TED uh, talk also, very nice one. The, this guy, I forgot the guy's name, but he presented a research. He said that we give employees more money thinking that they're going to be more productive. And their research showed that it actually went down. And they were surprised that giving more money to employees should have kind of improved their performance and productivity. Why it didn't. But then they figured out that if you are into a sort of a um, mungen, um job where the tasks are repeatable, um, not very interesting, that's where it will approximately improve your performance by 15%, no matter how much money you uh, increase. But if you are uh, in a creative job, you don't even need money. The sense of achievement, sense of accomplishment in creative and innovative jobs basically was the main driver for their productivity. They, these guys did their wonderful job without any money or incentives. So I think uh, we kind of sometimes misinterpret our research, but the research tells us the truth, that what works, what doesn't. But then again, our executives and business owners don't understand that uh, research very well, and they continue to push traditional metrics like let's increase salary, let's give them incentive, let's give them benefit. But then research says it's only going to improve performance of those employees who are at a ground level, maybe mundane job, and their job is kind of repeatable sort of but not creative. And the world today needs creative jobs, complex jobs. It does indeed. It does indeed. And it needs people to be able to fill those jobs who have passion, have desire, and have creativity. And if, if there are lots of companies where creativity is stifled, where they don't, they don't ask for people to come up with stuff um, because they know better. And it's a top-down kind of thing uh, versus a a bottom-up kind of philosophy is is where do you sit on that are you a top-down guy or are you a bottom-up guy i think uh, there has to be balance uh, there are always uh, going to be benefit of going bottom-up because then you look at that how the work is done um i think the foundational problem in some of the businesses are and organization is that they are too customer-centric and some of the organizations are too stakeholder centric. 
They say we work for stakeholder. We make money for them. They invested money here. Our job is to basically make them happy. So that's their focus. The customer centric one is they say we build things for customer. If customers don't exist, we are not going to be able to sell. We can't make money. We can't give salaries to the employees. But what they really forget is employees are the one who are actually producing the entire chain of things. There are people who are producing things. If they don't produce it good, it will never reach customer. It will never make enough money for stakeholders. So I think in the world for the last five to 10 years, most businesses have tried to become customer centric and they lost the focus on being human centric or employee centric. If just for a moment for, for maybe for an experiment, they do it for a, you know, fun. Okay, let's try the entire philosophy of employee centric. They will be able to turn around the result far more quicker. In my research with the 85 world's biggest leaders, I did that research for about 10 years. This thing kind of stood out that all those leaders were employee centric. Single thing they believed is let's make our employees better. Let's make our managers better. Let's make our leader better. Rest of the thing metrics for the businesses, revenue, customer satisfaction, everything will automatically come out of that. You know, I love your philosophy and I couldn't agree with it more. I was in the restaurant business for a long time. And as a general manager of a restaurant, you know, I had like 75 employees and three or four managers and all of that. And what I found was if you incented people to from at the very basic level, the dishwashers, the bus people, even the waiters, and to do a good job because they will make more money and you provide them the opportunity to make more money, they will, because they're doing a better job, more people will come to sit in the restaurant because they like it. And, and so the, the company does better when the employees do better than the reverse, which is the company does better when um, the, the, the customer walks through the door, but the employees are the one who touch them. They touch them and they, they, they touch every person that comes through the door. You don't as the boss. I didn't have contact with, with every customer, but they did. So it was up to me to make sure they had all the tools they needed to do a good job and wanted to do a good job. Yep. Uh, that's, that's perfectly right. I think when we are too customer centric, um, employees tend to satisfy customer because they want to satisfy or make their managers or leaders happy. I guess that approach does not work. When you are employee centric, you tell employee, I care for you and you give your customer the same level of care, what I am giving you, then guess what's gonna happen? They are not gonna do the job to impress their managers or leaders. They're gonna do the job to impress their customer automatically because they will feel good. They will get the sense of achievement as I talked earlier. And that basically does the whole wonder in the business world. But this is a very simple philosophy. For decades and decades, we have been using. But ever since we have over-corporatized uh, our organizations, I would say, I think somewhere it kind of lost. Well, the, in my humble opinion, the accountants got involved. <laughs> because the, the, the accountants that say, you know, if we cut this here and we cut this here and we lower this and stuff the company will make more money based upon current statistics or current 
things. But when you take away stuff or you cut customer service or whatever, then those customers go away. Then you don't make more money. Because uh, I think, am I wrong in that? Do, do the accountants who go to the CEO and say, we can make an extra X number of dollars for the stockholder if we do this. And they say, well, then that's that makes sense. But they don't look at the unforeseen consequences of what this does to their organization. Is, is that yeah. fair? It's a fair statement. It has a lot of aspect or dimensions, I would say. I mean, obviously, businesses are going to need all the legal compliance, financial compliance, audit compliance, uh, all those things are certainly needed. And ultimately, businesses are there to make money. That's that's the truth. Because if businesses are not there, employees don't have job and they they don't earn. I mean, people, there's a societal circle that goes on uh, with all this uh, thing, what happens. So I think that's okay. That is the thing that all businesses are going to do. But fundamentally, where it goes wrong is we get into this uh, dissect mode, analytical mode, where we want to analyze everything and we kind of analyze and dissect every single piece. And then what we do is when we dissect, we look at that particular piece of data or that particular piece of uh, information in isolation, without emotion, without connection, without human aspect to this one. And then the decisions which are taken, those are taken for things, not for people. And uh, I think that's what creates some sort of uh, the problem, what I was talking earlier. But what if the businesses take more integration approach or what I call synthesis approach? In the synthesis approach, you don't dissect things. You have different parts, you have human part, you have employee part, you have financial part, but then you synthesize everything together or you integrate different dimensions together to make a collective decision or improvement what is really needed. And then you figure out, we're going to need to improve financially, we're going to need to improve from a people's standpoint, manager standpoint and all that. And uh, more and more business units they create because every business unit have their own job security problem. And they're going to invent some kind of dissection methodologies or analysis to survive in that job. But I think that's what happens when organizations become bigger. They have so many business units, so many departments, so many cells, so many task forces. And all of them, rather than synthesizing things, they basically disintegrate things. So that could be one big cause that creates these that sort of problem, disconnects. Have you ever seen, I can't remember in, in my working life, I the amount of turnover and the amount of people that are leaving their jobs, they, they're calling it the great uh, resignation. Um, have you ever seen anything like what we're going through right now? Uh, no, uh, it is, I think, unprecedented, uh, this one, uh, in terms of uh, what is happening. But uh, I think maybe uh, it's more of a problem, it's more of a, and uh, not really people leaving. Problem is we are not able to retain people and we are, because we are not able to develop people fast enough. Imagine that you come to a job and I promise you, Kevin, I'm gonna get you become a star player in your job within two months. You stay with me. In two months, I give you awesome sense of achievement that when you go back to your kid, 
to your spouse back home, you go with this glowing face. But I did a wonderful, what my contributions were valued there. And even if anybody, people did not appreciate you, you know, you put your 100% because you got skills and you achieved some outcome which you are happy about because in future you're going to be proud of that one if you made some real good contribution that particular part of speeding up the development of people is the core of this which i think across the board is a uh, uh, missing pandemic has kind of made it worse and i can tell you that in most corporation managers are worked out managers spend most time either developing slides or doing an Excel-based analysis, or full-day attending meetings. They have zero time for their employees to develop them. And this is fundamentally the problem. If, if as a manager, I don't even sit with you, I don't care what, where your skill set is going, I don't care where your sense of achievement is going, I don't care whether you're contributing to your best of ability, you're going to leave because you. I'm not valuing you enough. So I'm not paying attention to your development. So you're going to leave. And not only you, all the other people I'm going to ignore are going to leave because my leaders are keeping me busy in the meetings and all that. And I think this is the problem. We get our manager to focus on things, not people. I I couldn't agree more. You know, I've, I've worked in a number of companies that I'm not even sure that the... Um, CEO or the manager of the plant or wherever I was working could actually find their way to the employee lunchroom. Uh, that's right. That's uh, perfectly right. I mean, I'm in a corporate uh, too, and I do find that it's very challenging. Uh, uh, so I think uh, uh, our organization, the way we do businesses, the speed with which uh, we are doing the businesses, those are not uh, allowing. And there is another piece, very important piece, and that stood out in my research. And I, I wrote uh, several pages in my thesis when I submitted. And that was this. The organization who do wonderfully, they actually develop their managers. Yep. And the man, then manager will take the same philosophy downhill. So that was the, uh, the turning point in my research when I figured it's the managers who are fundamentally developed, and that's how they learn different behavior. If you're not going to coach your manager to take that kind of role, um, it's not going to come. Because if you ask them about deliverables, KPIs, uh, metrics, uh, and all the things which are only the things, then it's going to stay their focus on the things only. So I think that was the differentiator. So my research was about this. How organizations can shorten time to mastery of their employees what, what do they do differently and one key thing that stood out is managers they develop managers and um, most organizations their focus is on ground level employees they feel managers we are paying enough to managers as manager will figure out how they're going to do it and they develop their employees they focus on employees but they forget their managers all mid-tier frontline all managers so they do do leadership kind of philosophies, but uh, those do not really always help very well. I've been in a number of sales organizations, and when they looked at promoting a uh, manager from the ranks or either even from the outside, uh, they'll 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 look for a great salesman. Well, a great salesman may not have the skill sets 
necessary to be a great manager. They don't, those are two different things. That's uh, absolutely right. I mean, uh, I think uh, there are managers, functional managers who are very good in their function. And then we expect them to manage employees, lead employees that may not even be their interest or that may not be even their great strength. But then the moment the word manager is, uh, you know, uh, given to your title, we believe you got to be superhuman with all the capability. You should be able to manage data. You should be able to manage people. You should be able to manage emotion. You should be able to manage every aspect of that one. So I think those kind of superhuman managers don't exist in today's environment. How we need to give them. <laughs> yeah. That's asking a whole bunch to be a, to be a doctor, psychologist, a, 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 uh, a motivator, uh, you know, and all of those things, it's, it's hard for somebody that, especially when they're new on the job and they're overwhelmed with all yeah. the things that they're responsible to do. That's right. So I, I, I think you're, and I, I have no doubt as to why you're getting the type of success that you are because you're, you're doing what I think has always needed to be done. But even CEOs are a lot of them are not enlightened enough to be able to, to really understand the nuts and bolts. Some are, and those are companies that rise to the top. And, but there are lots that, that flounder and uh, because they don't, they don't get the, because you know, everything, do you agree with this statement? Everything is relationship based. Oh, yeah, yeah, I agree. I perfectly agree with you that one. Um, I, I, I wrote a, an article for a couple of months ago, and the title of that article is Leadership is Personal Again, because we kind of lost the touch of the relationship and everything in between. Uh, one of uh, the new manager who just got promoted, and uh, he came to me, um, Raman, I want uh, to you know discuss something. I will need some mentoring from you. Um, so he then he told me that uh, um, his management has put him into some leadership courses, programs. He said, I'm learning this philosophy, that philosophy. So I kind of paused him in between. I said, wait a second. I said, are you a brother? Uh, yeah. Are you a father? Yeah. Uh, are you a son? I said, yeah. Uh, I said, have you ever, uh, you know, kind of managed the events in your family when your brother's wedding was there? And uh, yeah. Then how all those things you managed really? how you kind of heard all the people together and you created a beautiful wedding experience for your brother or sister. He said, I did this and this. I said, what was that? Oh, that was leadership. So you're already leader. Why you have to learn these complex corporate philosophies? Because corporate complex philosophies will make leadership as a thing. So when you make leadership as a thing, you're going you're gonna to think that leadership don't exist it doesn't exist in your home i say you know what if your father with all sincerity go on a hard work earn money to get you the better life the care you need isn't it leadership say, yeah it is leadership i say you know your mother without complaint gives you the food every single day and she doesn't expect anything in return and she's honest about this one she's there she's present all the time when you need isn't it leadership yeah, leadership. So leadership exists in our homes in form of relationship with our friends, with our people. But uh, we have made this leadership as a so glorious, glamorous entity 
that okay you come to an organization you're not leader you are a brand new guy you're gonna need to travel several steps to become leader um, people don't become leader leader is there they is already there we have been doing it from our childhood only thing is we just need to realize it i think we waste too much time in our organization teaching people leadership when it's inherent in them to begin with it um, is there every, ever since i mean in the olden ancient times nobody had this leadership classes and why we had such a great leaders in greece rome britain whatever country you name they did they did really well by the way we're talking with uh dr raman k atra atri 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 that's right and uh, he is in singapore so it is now uh, 641 in the morning there and I want to thank you for actually being alive because you're, you're 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 very animated and you're very good if you want to go to his website you can go to www.get dash there dash faster.com that's get dash there dash faster.com you can find out all about him I love your website it's very pretty and it's also got tons of things it's got training mentoring coaching speaking education, all kinds of things, including the 20. Can we touch on the 20 books you've written over time? Certainly. Certainly. We can. <laughs> I don't know how much time you got, uh, but uh, uh, so in addition to doing the work that you do, you've also become a writer of many different, different genres, haven't you? Yeah, that's right. I, I have been uh, writing on science. I have been writing on learning, training, um, development. I also wrote uh, poetry books. And uh, not only that, I also wrote this uh, painting books, painting books in the sense uh, uh, it's, it's a collection of all my portraits uh, plus techniques, how I do it. So I do all sort of books, a multi-genre, and uh, it comes from different dimensions of my personality. Which, which I got to tell you, is is you've done a lot of stuff, and uh, you've got so many books and uh, courses on how to use your weaknesses as uh, speed differenti differentiators, um, how to how to seek the right clarity, uh, speed up your journey. There's tons of stuff, and then the books that you have, and and all of that. And uh, you, now you live in Singapore. Do you travel the world? I used to before pandemic, um, but during pandemic, all travel and everything got uh, stopped. Um, but now uh, I think borders are opening up uh, for almost all the countries now. So it is going to start probably again. If somebody would like to work with you, how do they get a hold of you? Uh, they, they can go to my website, get uh, dash there dot the dash faster.com uh pretty easy get there faster basically that's my concept and they can uh, reach there there's a contact form very detailed one they can choose different option uh what exactly the the requirements is how they want to do and uh, they can send me the requirement but if it uh, seems a little bit too um too much of work um, because we work in the we all got lesser time they can send me an email at uh, contact at get dash there dash faster.com and then i will be able to respond uh, uh, quickly whatever they need so that's a one way but if you, you want to find me on social media my handle is pretty easy it's a dr dr and then my name raman k atri and that's the handle everywhere you can find me very easily and if you still cannot find just search my name in google 
first 200 pages are probably going to be all my name. <laughs> and and by the way, if you can't find him there, you can go to positivetalkradio.net because this interview is going to be there. It's also on YouTube and uh, and stuff. So you can look look him up and find him because I tell you, he would be somebody that could really help you if if you're struggling as a manager or you're struggling as an employee and you don't feel like you're progressing as fast as you'd like, he can help you um, get to get to be get to where you want to go, and uh, and you, you're you're a, a, a great testament to somebody that's taken a disability when you were a child and turned it into a, a real strength for you because it, you can you can help people in a, in a great way, and you can help them make more money too. Uh, that's right. That's right. I mean, I think once we save time, you progress faster and then you can achieve your destination where you want to go. I think money comes out of that one automatically. Money ca cannot be the prime goal. But the thing is, as I was saying, value of time. Once you shorten the time, the, the money automatically doubles up uh, correspondingly or maybe uh, threefold, fivefold, whatever, depending on what kind of business, what kind of career you are in. So imagine that if you are a manager and you could become a vice president in a much shorter time, now you know, you know how it's going to scale up in terms of your salary, in terms of your income and everything. Oh, yeah. Oh, indeed. Mm -hmm. By the way, I got to ask you, if you were the CEO, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take my magic wand here. I'll take this and make, give you my magic wand here. And I'm going to make you a CEO of a, of a mid-sized company in the United States and you're, and you walk into the place, what are you going to do on your first day? I think first day I'm going to get rid of those complex multi-layer, multi-divisional organization structure. That's very ineffective. We'll remove the barriers. We create synthesis. We integrate things. Um, I think a couple of minutes ago, you asked me how I wrote, wrote so many books. I think fundamentally what we, we love our professional life so much that we dissect our dimensions. So once you integrate different dimensions of your personality, you can do multiple things at same time. And that will be my concept there that as employee, as manager, bring your personality into the business. Don't be business people. Don't be just things. Don't just work with data. Don't just work with the customer. So once you bring your personality, your, uh, your, your whole existence into work so that you don't have to worry about work-life balance, rather you focus on work-life integration, where you integrate your personal dimension with the work dimension nicely, seamlessly, that it become your part of body. And you feel happy everywhere. You are outside of it. You're inside of it. You're at home. You feel happy everywhere. So I think that's the number one thing I would like to do um, if uh, I would be a CEO or something. I, th I think that I think that would be great. Of course, you know what you'd have if you were the CEO, you'd have a vice, a bunch of vice presidents sitting around going, now, 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 hold on, doctor. We're, that's not what we do here. We do this. You know, this is this is how we do it. And we've always done it this way. Why should we change today? What would you ask? Would you <laughs> yeah. Think? So Marsha Goldsmith uh, wrote a book and it says famous quote. He says, what got you here won't get you there. And I had, uh, you know, adapted that uh, quote. I have been uh, uh, using it. And my version is this. What got you here won't get you there 
faster. So if you really want to go faster in terms of as a business leader, uh, even if you are vice president, don't you want to shorten your success where you become world's top-notch leader in a much shorter time, which probably you are not today? Wouldn't you want to go there faster? If you want to go there faster, let's change the thing. Let's use different strategies. Because if world is different around us, it's complex, it's much fast-paced, how we are going to expect old strategies to work for the newer world? The newer world is going to need newer set of strategies, very specialized one. If we want to go in a F1 race, we don't take our sedan. <laughs> <laughs> Right, so we're gonna need to buy Ferrari. <laughs> that that is so true. I I have to ask you. In my working life, it seems like, and not all the all the time, but in a lot of cases, you put a title in front of somebody, and all of a sudden, like like manager or general manager or or vice president or whatever the title is, it changes them. And how do you how do you get them to stop with the ego stuff? about being, I'm the vice president, I know everything now, and you know nothing more than you did the day before you were vice president. Um, that's uh, right. I think titles are typically will come on the way to people's progress. This is what I have uh, realized. Uh, um, I, I am just a plain corporate manager, Kevin, but uh, imagine that uh, people, the CEOs, the biggest CEOs on the, some of the great companies, uh, they come to me to ask, I mean, how we do this? What are the different insights there? There are people who kind of come to me, they're five, six, seven grades above me. But look at this one, that uh, the moment you take the title away, it gives you immense, infinite dimensions to really grow. Um, I mean, I look at this. I have been featured in over 125 uh, magazines. I'm just a plain manager from a from a corporate standpoint, but um, I have been nominated as Brains Global 500 leader uh, alongside uh, stellar leaders like uh, Oprah Winfrey, Gary Vee, Jay Shetty, and uh, recently I have been uh, given this award of uh, the one of the most admiring global Indians. And you'll see how many Indians are there out there, right? So um, from that aspect, I mean, I, I say, you know what, guys, I the reason I can do this wonder is, which probably some vice president or even directors or maybe even CEOs struggle to get that visibility or struggle to get that level of uh, authority or that level of what I would say, but whatever it is. Um, thing is that I think we love our titles to, so much. The moment we decouple our titles, then what happens then is okay all right what's my identity who am i the if i take the title away from any manager out there director out there i think they feel naked they feel wait a second i don't have anything to explain who am i what right? am i going to put on my business card for heaven's sake yeah who, who am i right my business card only says dr raman k Atari. i say you know what my name is my brand that's my identity and this is how my kid is going to remember that my father's name was this. This is how the generation is going to know. They are not going to know me that, okay, my uh, father used to work as an employee or director. I don't know what he used to do, but he was in some company that was taken over 30 years ago. It doesn't exist anymore. 
So you see that what kind of identity or legacy we are giving to our kids that they cannot even explain. I, I give you one example that uh, um, uh, my my kid is very uh, small. He's about eight year old now. But uh, a couple of years ago, he had this assignment in the school, and teacher asked, "You're gonna need to tell us what your father does." <laughs> Okay, and tell about your father. All right. So sure. now, uh, the, uh, okay, I, he asked me what I do. I told him about uh, whatever my job and profession and all that is. That uh, then he uh, went back, and uh, in the class, he actually uh, told something, and then uh, um, then the teacher actually called me later. Hey, uh, Dr. Raman, I said, yeah, your that kid did wonderfully. This one, I said, okay, I agree. All right. Uh, what did he say? Then he said, he said, my father is a scientist, an author, and he speaks to people. Okay. No, he did not use any title. He didn't do anything. Then he came back and asked him, what did you say in the school? He said, I said, my father is, he writes books. He speaks on stages and he finds new things as a scientist. I say, but I said that I was a manager in such and such company. He said, I don't understand that. What you do? Gotcha. So you see that how kids relate your legacy. So I kind of say, you know what? Um, my books are there in Stanford Library, Harvard Library. One day he's going to walk down that aisle and guess he, Oh, this is my father's book, probably. So I think uh, we forget our identity this way. We create this business card identity, which is too fake, too shallow. Uh, I think we need to decouple our uh, titles to very simple question to managers and leader I ask is, what your kid, how your kid is gonna remember you as what? He's gonna remember you as an employee uh, of a company um, uh, where you just used to go and earn? I mean, how you, you are going to leave your impression and memories and legacy behind? And that's your identity. And uh, people typically don't work on their identity that well. As I said, you strip them of title, they're nobody. You know, uh, I got to tell you, I, that is so true. And in my own life, my, my father was an executive with Nordstrom for like 30 years. And he was one of those guys that, when he walked through the, the department, everybody was like straightening their ties and making sure the displays are right. And that's, oh, Mr. McDonald's coming. Mr. McDonald's coming. Everybody uh, prepare and stuff like that. But he didn't leave a legacy because when he retired, he no longer was Mr. McDonald. Now he was just Jack, but he hadn't built the balance in his life over time that he would be known as Jack who also was Mr. McDonald. So he ended up, and then that was 25 years ago. If you go to Nordstrom today, they'll have no idea who he is. And so his legacy is lost professionally, and he never developed a personal one. And so at the end of his life, I think he considered it a bit of a waste. That's so, yeah, that's actually irony, and that's very sad. You know, people spend their so much life there in an organization thinking it is family. And that family will forget them within 30 days of their leaving. Um, in my organization, I had some big directors or something. They spent some 20 years and uh, they were let go or they left of their own. Doesn't matter. 
But the thing is, within about 30 days, people who adore them, they don't remember them. They don't even know their whereabouts or something. I say, you know what? This is what uh, an employee's life or professional's life is going to end. Then this is not the identity. This is not what you're born for. You get to need to produce your own things that you can leave behind or something which becomes your identity irrespective of what business you do. I think we mix too much or we make our, we mix our profession into our identity. Profession is just a way to earn money. If we decouple it for a moment, what are we? I love that philosophy because it it's so true. What, what, what we do is we spend a lot of time trying to get that title and then we think that's who we are. We're not that title. We are, we are just people That's right. and it's up to us to, to make an impact to decide what that impact's going to be. And then to go make it in the world. And hopefully yeah. you can do that while you're still working rather yeah. than working 70, 80 hours a week and accomplishing nothing else. Even if, you know, I know some people that they were um, executives and they decided to take the time to give back either to be a scoutmaster or to be a coach or to take some time in their personal time to develop their own um, um, legacy. And those kids will always remember that coach as their coach, not Mr. CEO. Yeah, I agree, I agree. And, and uh, I think uh, in, uh, in today's environment, um, one thing that needs to happen is, which doesn't, it's not happening right now, most of the, the experienced CSE, uh, CEO or experienced uh, executives, leaders, or uh, those people who have accumulated a lot of wisdom, they what they do is they say, you know what, I am going to start giving back to society when I retire, then I have plenty of time, then I'm going to coach people. But the problem with this, when you are 70 years old, the wisdom you have is no longer relevant to the world at that time. World has already progressed forward. So what's the point of giving at that time? So I think the whole thing about this, honey, it needs to go across. Even if you're 30 year old, okay, all right, 30 years is good enough. You learned enough you know, from your experience. Why not to share immediately? Why not to start coaching right now? Why not to mentor right now? So many of the managers and leaders I talk, I say, you know why? You, you got a good experience. Why don't you start coaching, mentoring some people, maybe free? Don't You don't have to charge anything. They say, oh, no, no, I, I think I'm not there yet. Once I get accumulated this mass of wisdom kind of crystal ball, then I will start doing it. I say, that's never going to happen. Your crystal ball is going to be useless for those people because they're going to be far ahead of you. They're going to need things at a much faster pace. And your strategies, what you ran through your life, as uh, Marshall Goldsmith said, it's not going to work for them. So what's the use? So you're going to be, your knowledge is going to be irrelevant. Maybe you write a book at that time. These are the things I did in the last 50 years. Even that's going to be irrelevant because for the next 50 years, organization employees and leaders are going to need different things, not what has already happened. So uh, I, I kind of keep telling people that you, if you have idea, you write book now. If you have an idea in your brain troubling you so much, you go for TEDx talk now. If you have something really troubling that things are not working fine, go fix it now. Don't wait for your retirement. One of my better friends where I was working, I, he was a, a fellow bus driver in Seattle, and he retired at 64. He'd worked 20 years, and he'd worked 50, 60 hours a week, and, and uh, he'd saved up some money, and 
he was going to get into a mobile home and or a, a motor home, and he and his wife were going to travel the United States. We're going to have a great time. He retired at 64, and he had a heart attack at 66 and never did any of that, which he could have had he not worked so much uh, as he was younger and doing different things. So enjoy the time that we, we've got here because you don't know when the expiration at the bottom of your foot is going to expire. And so just, you know, and I agree with you 100%. Make your mark, change your, your, your create your legacy, do what you're going to do while you can and have the opportunity. That's right. And you need to do it faster because uh, time is not waiting. So it, there's a time involved in producing your wisdom into an outcome which is useful for the society, for business, organization, employees, or team members. So problem is that the time you take to produce those outcomes will make it obsolete by the time you bring it down to people or to the market. So that's a fundamental reason why I set up this uh, gettherefaster.com that, okay, let's uh, all shorten it together because then you will be able to put your outcomes in the market or in society faster, and you will be able to see it flourishing that when people can use it. And at the same time, it's going to give you additional time, which you can enjoy in your vacation with your family, whatever you wanted to do otherwise. Absolutely. I've enjoyed our conversation today, sir. It's been, it's, I, the last time we talked, I also enjoyed that conversation. You're, you really are very gifted at what you do. Thank you so much, Kevin. It's my pleasure. I mean, I love the, you know, the, your show is a, longer we can get into the you know depth and perhaps your audience who are listening it can actually draw some useful tips for them so so that they can use in their life i think so i think so and that's why i love to have you on will you come back and can we do this some more <laughs> Kevin, yeah i am that means you, know, you gotta get up at six o'clock in the morning but uh <laughs> or five o'clock or whenever you do it no let's say timing is uh, not a problem uh we, we can do that whenever i have the next milestone or something i bring back i would love to bring back a fresh perspective and uh this time i kind of since we talked last time i i gotten to do a lot of talking with the people a lot of other research i have uh, written about three four more books so that has made me a little bit more insightful about the things and affairs going on in the market and maybe pandemic also kind of created its own uh, sort of impact on me in trying to figure out uh, the ways to stay ahead because world has moved too fast during pandemic and uh, i kind of wanted to See, give people something, a tool, method, science to really stay ahead of the market. So next time when I do something breakthrough or something which is more useful for people, I would love to come back and share with your audience. I would love for you to do that. And well, because you're never going to stop learning. You're never going to quit. You're going to just keep on going and, and, and develop new things. And that's just that I couldn't think of anything more. And your son should be very proud of you because you've developed quite a legacy in your life. Yeah, I'm hoping so uh, that, uh, you know, I think I kind of already began to sign in how he selectively tell people about what he wants to tell. So that actually tells me that, you know, the kind of work I might be doing in the corporate, he's not very proud of. Or maybe he doesn't even understand. 
And even if he understands, he's probably not going to be proud of. Maybe he's going to think, okay, that's just a way my papa brings money home or sort of we kind of keep running our families. But the things he's going to look for being uh, proud uh, is going to be different. I mean, uh, the other day I got the package in the mail um, and I had uh, my picture on the magazine cover. Um, it's a, just a paper. But you see that, you know, you can see the light getting lit up and it's, it's a different feeling because they don't see that one happening around with their friends. They would want to show their friends or something. So I hope that he feels proud. Um, but ultimately, if we do with good in intention anything, it's automatically going to make people proud and going to leave legacy. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, when I was growing up, my my dad would leave and then come home and I had no idea what he did for 10 hours in between that until I turned 18 and went to work for that company. And then I figured then, then I was proud of him because within the confines of that company, but prior to that, when I was growing up, I had no earthly idea what he did. So, you know, it's, it's, it's great to develop a legacy and write a book, follow your passion, do what you like and, uh, and do it before you, it's too late and you can't do yeah. it anymore. Exactly. And that's the fundamental reason I had to get there faster.com. If people, the audience is listening, you want to write a book? I have the coaching session there. You sign up. I will teach you the entire step of I me. Mean, doesn't matter it's a poetry book. It doesn't matter it's your person's story. It doesn't matter it's about your father. I mean, the, how are you going to be producing that wisdom out very quickly? And the idea is let's bring your wisdom out to the market and to the society quickly so that people can val you know, value and uh, get value out of what you know. If you like that one, I will be willing to help you. And if you want to kind of progress faster, um, check out my website and see where uh, there are a lot of things. I have free ebooks also. Go ahead and download, and you will be able to learn a lot of things from there. So uh, I would love to help. That is, that is just awesome. By the way, we've been talking with Dr. Raman K. Atra, Atri. And go to his website, which is www.get-there dash faster.com learn all of his information he's got to, it's going to take you uh a little while to go through his website that'll that i can tell you but you can do it faster because he's going to help you so go give him a call and and uh, work with him it would be great so uh doctor thank you so much for being here Kevin, it was it was my pleasure. I appreciate you have an outstanding show. I love the depth we you go into, and I love the questions, and you explore all dimensions. Keep this one up, and thank you so much. Oh, you're so welcome, and and I just love the the work that you're doing, and and we'll just we'll just stay in touch. And the next the ne I'm waiting for the next epiphany to come through. Certainly, certainly. So wait right there, Doc. I'll be right back. Thanks for enjoying this episode all the way to the end. Please give us a like and subscribe to this channel. This has been a production of KMmedia.pro. Please visit our website, oddly enough, named KMmedia.pro for more details about us and our mission, which is to provide great positive programming designed to inspire us all. I'm Kevin McDonald, and I'm proud of these shows, and I truly hope that you'll like them and share them with friends and family. So on behalf of our entire team, remember, be kind to each other because each other's all we've got. We'll see you next time.